And now, part two of our Candidate Education Podcast. Hello out there in political world. This is Renew Gurus, your semi-regular look at energy policy and utility rate making here in Missouri. Uh, This is a special edition. Uh, We are gearing this directly towards candidates for state representative and state senate here in Missouri. Uh, We just had um, a podcast for part one uh, with our research clerk, Emily Piantech, who talked a lot about poverty and energy efficiency, as well as community solar. Those are pretty exciting concepts. Uh, I still am joined by Elizabeth Gower, who's our producer and office coordinator here at Renew Missouri. But now we're joined with Matt Patterson, uh, who is uh, some sort of policy person for Renew Missouri. I can't remember what your job description says. I think it's a bathroom attendant. Bathroom attendant, yeah. (laughs) So we just let him on this podcast, and we're here to talk about a couple of other topics. We're here to talk about distributive energy resources net metering and purchase power agreements. So, Elizabeth. If Matt's name sounds familiar, it's maybe because he worked for you. He might have worked for you, or he might have been involved with a group that he was involved with. Uh, Matthew is a very prolific uh, campaign person who we're very lucky to have here uh, doing outreach and education work at Renew Missouri. Renew Missouri, again, nonpartisan 501c3 based out of Columbia. That works on renewable energy and energy efficiency work. And low, in- uh, and low income housing. Very good. That's yes. true. We do that as well. And uh, we do a lot of work in front of the Public Service Commission, your local city hall, your cooperative, and to a certain extent to the Missouri legislature. We uh, are prohibited by how much work we can do there, uh, not only by the IRS rules, but also by our grant requirements. So we try to be down there about 10 to 15% of the time. So... Let's dive into this and talk a little bit about why some of these topics are important. I want to first talk a little bit about um, PPAs. These are called, I mean, these, this is something that Renew Missouri has been worked really hard on for the past several years. Uh, we have third-party purchase power agreements. And you might think to yourself, like, wow, what is that? Well, it's fairly simple. So say you are a large business or you own a hospital or you're a school district or something like that, and you look at your electricity bill and you think to yourself, holy cow, this is super expensive. I run a grocery store. I'm spending about forty dollars to $50,000 a month on my electricity bill. I'd like to find a way to cut that out of my margins that I'm paying to my customers or that my customers have to pay. You don't have to pay that to your customers, but you know, it, go, it gets borne on your customers. So if you were like a business, like let's say you were a grocery store and you wanted to put solar arrays on your roof or you wanted to put um, covered parking that had solar arrays on it or you just want to have that in a field next to your store, uh, that would be something that you could either do yourself as a business or you could contract uh, with another business that would run it. It would still be connected to the grid um, because just in case the sun didn't shine or the Wind didn't blow that day if you were able to have a wind turbine, but that'd be pretty... You'd have to run a pretty big operation to have a wind turbine, I would imagine, since those things are like 400 feet tall and everything. Unless you're the dentist office in South Columbia. Is there a, is there a, is there a wind turbine there? Yes. Oh, well. Oh, I mean, okay. All it's right. a miniature one. Okay, well, and I guess the point was, say, like, if you have a few solar arrays or you have a miniature wind farm, uh, miniature wind turbine... Under Missouri law, you can do that as long as you have a certain, that you're only using a certain amount. 
But if you're wanting to do that limitlessly uh, through this third party, not through the utility company, that would not, that is kind of unsettled right now as far as whether that's legal in Missouri or not. That's right. You can't, uh, right now you'd be, you wouldn't be at a limit as to how much you could do. And right. that's, um, that would be pretty, you know, wouldn't really maximize the amount of, you know, that they're wanting, that the businesses are wanting to, you know, recover in terms of their investment that they make. Yeah, because it's not cheap to build those things. It's not cheap to put those in. And so you're not going to see that benefit, especially when you're capped by how much you can go back onto the grid because ultimately any power you produce that you don't need to use has to go back to the grid. So this is not a concept that you only find out in liberal left coast states like California. This is going on in Iowa. This is going on in Illinois. This is going on in Texas. Now, the big difference that we have from some of those states versus this state is they have um, deregulation of the generation and transmission of their power in those states. They're easy, it's easier to do that. In this state, uh, the Public Service Commission regulates all three forms of how we do energy, the generation, the transmission, and the distribution of it. So we can't do that. Or a lot of people say we can't do that. So what is the cap on... Is it 100? I think it's 100 kW, which yeah. is not very much. It's one of the lowest in the country. Yeah. Of 38 states that have uh, uh, laws on being able to produce your own power and then be able to put some of that back on the grid, we have some of the lowest. Well, and if you're a grocery store or a hospital, 100 kW isn't going to take up very much roof space. And say you want to fill up all of your roof space mm -hmm. and generate excess power, you're right. not able to do that. That's right. And it also, when you think about the size of a hospital or you think of the size of a grocery store, they're using a lot of power. But wasn't there a utility bill this year that kind of expanded that to like 150 for businesses? Ah, interesting point there, Matthew Patterson. Yes, there was uh, a bill from 2018 uh, that was passed by the legislature, got passed in the Senate in February, got passed by the House in May, signed by then Governor Greitens in June. Uh, that basically said, uh, we're going to like let you, if you're a solar customer, have rebates on anything going up to 150 uh, kilowatts, even though like actually the cap right now is 100. So there is a fix that could be done there if you're interested in that as well. But more importantly, what we want to know, because that's a good side point, but the point is, like, should you be able to have these contracts out there when you do this? What you see in Iowa is you have companies like Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, they're opening data centers there uh, that are basically using up a lot of power. They use a lot of heat, but they are going to move to states that have 100% access to sustainable energy. We have, that, big, you know, we have big companies in our state that want it. Also. That's right. Yeah. You look at Walmart, you look at Anheuser-Busch InBev, you look at General Motors, even look at the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense wants this. But what you will hear from the utility companies is they'll say, like, oh, my gosh, I mean, we take this off of our system. We take these big customers off there. It's going to have a bad impact on all of the customers. All right, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. What How will it affect rates? Well, that's a very good question, Elizabeth. Think about this. Think about if you're a grocery store and you're producing a lot of power. That means that's power going back on the grid that the utility companies don't have to produce. They can actually cut back on the amount they're using. Now, ultimately, what the real argument is, and look, this is not a slam on the utility companies. This is just the nature of what they do. They make money based on capital projects they're able to invest in. 
One thing Renew Missouri has submitted and we looked at doing last year was uh, a concept called a sleeved purchase power agreement that would still let the utility companies own the equipment, own all the stuff that goes around it, but like you still get the benefit of it. I mean, so it still operates as a purchase power agreement. It's just they still have control over that equipment and they're still able to get, um, you know, a rate of return from the Public Service Commission for that investment. It seems like some middle ground there. Yeah, we thought so. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think some of the utility uh, companies looked at that and they realized that maybe they weren't ready to uh, tackle that. But it's certainly something that we're able and willing to bring back again. And I think you, what you would see is that would be a real benefit to the businesses in your community. It would attract businesses to this community. And that's not even including the folks who would be working as solar technicians or wind technicians who would see benefit from this as well. We're just talking about attracting businesses to Missouri. Economic development. It's a big deal. They talk about it. It's like they have a department for it. We have a whole, yeah, you know, I think that's funny, Matthew Patterson. As a matter of fact, I think the executive branch has an entire economic development department, and there's committees in each branch of the legislature, or each arm of the legislature. I'm probably using my terminology incorrect. I hope there's not a quiz after this. That have an economic development commission, committee. So, yes, you are uh, you have that ability to look at that. And if you think it's something that um, isn't, uh, you know, isn't going to be looked at by the majority of the people in Jefferson City, keep in mind, uh, just last year, a Republican senator, Gary Romine, introduced this as part of a larger utility uh, piece of legislation. Uh, and we've had uh, Republican lawmakers in the House, such as Bill Kidd, T.J. Berry, outgoing state rep T.J. Berry, uh, have all uh, had some form or fashion of purchase power agreements introduced to the legislature over the number of years. So this is not something that's just a liberal concept or conservative concept. This is a common sense concept. Well, you also have to realize that this doesn't affect just urban um, candidates. It affects, you know, candidates running in rural areas because where do those data centers usually end up, James? They're always in, I mean, for lack of a better word, they're always kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and I mean, like that's from somebody who is from the middle of nowhere. I'm from just so you aren't thinking I'm trying to be like some you know snooty Columbia type. Uh, but yeah, but also more importantly, there are long interstates because like you're talking about data centers and distribution centers. I mean, they're going to be going where people have access to them, and that's going to be in the interstates. They're really big. They require a lot of space. So you're not going to necessarily see all of those in Kansas City, St. Louis, Columbia, or Springfield. So they've got to go out kind of like around I-70, I-35, I-29, I-44, places like that. All this all kind of ties into, as well, when you're talking about PPAs, it also ties into a little bit, uh, and Matt Patterson brought this up a minute ago, about um, net metering. And basically net metering is the concept of, you know, the ability to be able to produce, uh, you know, electricity at your home or your business on your roof. or And even net metering does include wind. It does include geothermal, but we almost 99% of the time we're talking about it being solar panels on your roof. And we have that law in the state of Missouri. Uh, like I said, the majority of states have that law in the state of Missouri. Um, it does require uh, the utility companies to pay uh, for the power that you're producing, that overage. They only have to pay a wholesale rate. Not a retail. Not so a retail it's a rate. cheaper. Yeah, uh, and which, by the way, Alec, I was just reading an article about uh, a bill that was vetoed in 
uh, New Hampshire uh, that was going to increase the cap on how much you could have. And then it was also going to, you know, uh, bring it down. It was going to, like, they they let you sell it at the retail rate there. Oh, wow. Uh, and Alex said, you know, if you were selling this wholesale rate, that'd be okay. Hmm. So go look it up. I'm not making this up. Alec has approved that idea. So we do that here in this uh, state. Now, we would love to see it be at retail level. We'd love for you, if you have solar panels on your roof and you're producing, you know, the sun's really shining. Like that middle of summer, you know, those 110 degree days. Or September days where apparently it's 95 degrees outside like we have right now. uh, And it's sunny and everything's bacon. (laughs) You, uh, you're you're going to be producing a lot of power. Uh, we would love to be able to see that cap get increased because we do, as we said with the PPA things, that is power that other customers can use. Uh, that is power that does not have to be produced by the utility company, and that's coming directly from your neighborhood. And it's clean. By the way, did we mention it's clean? Yeah, and no more importantly, I don't know if you all know this, but you know how many billions of dollars that we spend a year in the state alone, all utilities on, on hauling coal from Wyoming here. It's like $2 billion. You know how much your fuel cost is for bringing wind and solar here? Nothing. <laughs> so in theory, I mean, one of the more controversial aspects we have of utility rate making is something called the Fuel Adjustment Clause, which the legislature approved several years ago that basically says that uh, utility companies can adjust uh, the amount of uh, their utility bill without a rate case that's based on the uh, cost of fuel, fuel yeah. to bring power uh, to an area. That is really controversial, but that is law. And if you had um, renewable energy, you wouldn't have to worry about the fuel adjustment clause. That's right, yeah. Just a side note. I'm doing that for some of my consumer advocates out there, too, by the what way. What else would we like to see changed with the net metering law, James? Well, <laughs> you know, that's a good question, Elizabeth. Um, I think it might have to do with something called true up? true up. Oh, yeah. We um, we would like to see, you know, basically how this works. And I know I'm going to garble this up because true ups are one of those things I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. But, like, the way we do it in this state right now, do we do it every month? And you true up according to, you know, like how much power you use or everything else. But a lot of states have gone to doing this annually or biannually. I think it's annually. And that is a lot less paperwork. Uh, That's a lot easier. And so we would like to see that done as well. If you're looking at increasing the caps on this or you're looking at uh, changing it from wholesale to retail, uh, which a lot of solar customers in your district would probably like to hear you were thinking about doing, uh, that would be good. But there's always dark forces out there. There's always dark clouds out there. I shouldn't say dark forces. I mean, these people are well-intentioned. I we're think. not in Star Wars over here. We're not in Star Wars. Is that where dark forces are? I don't know. Well, I know what you mean. Uh, okay, so for the past couple of years, uh, there has been an effort. There's been legislation introduced uh, to try to put fees on net metering. Uh, basically saying that, you know, if you're going to be doing this, the utility company should charge you a certain amount of money to do it. Uh, That, in effect, would ruin any economic benefit that any customer has from doing this. I mean, basically, you would have to be paying for the benefit of having solar in your house. Now, um, this has been, uh, this was passed by the House back in 2017, thankfully, uh, because of the insight of of a senator to bottle that up. It didn't go to the Senate. 
Um, we were glad to see that. That was Ryan Silvey, who's now the chair of the Public Service Committee uh, Commission. That was just announced this week that we're taping this. Um, but he's not there anymore <laughs> in the Senate. Um, and so it's important to kind of go through uh, some of the misperceptions about why people see that as a need. Uh, one of the arguments we hear is, well, this is putting a lot of strain on the grid. You have this stuff on your roof. Uh, this excess power gets put onto our system. It's just not good for other customers. It's not safe for our grid. Well, okay, let's talk about that uh, for a second. Um, one, that's producing power you can use. That's producing power that's going to get used by other customers. You're seeing a benefit from that. And more importantly, and I think this is something that a lot of people don't think about, is, okay, utility companies buy power from other sources all of the time. Utility companies buy power from Oklahoma, from Kansas, from Illinois, from surrounding states. We have energy markets. We have like, I don't know, I think a dozen of them around the country. Yeah. And we have two of those that are in Missouri. So we are getting power from other sources all the time. No one has an objection to power to energy companies doing that from buying them from these large-scale uh, energy markets. But they do if you're doing the exact same thing from somebody's roof. Yeah. Now, how does that make any sense? Well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And more, then they say, like, well, we don't know if these things are safe. Well, mm. folks, I'm here to tell you, if you, look at the if you look at the statute on net metering, it says that the utility companies have uh, 30 days uh, to look over what your solar company has put together for them to approve it for small systems. And I think it's 90 days for larger systems. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I forgot what the distinction is. I don't have that here in front of me. Uh, I promise you, if you ask for it, I'll get you more of that information. Um, so we have this idea that uh, that this idea that it's not safe. Well, I mean, the utility companies are looking at these. They're looking at specifications. They're looking at what engineers have said from the solar companies. They're approving this. So if it's not safe, ultimately... Well, there's some other failure there. It's not that solar is inherently unsafe to the grid. Elizabeth? It's all these engineers and electricians. So if you trust them to do other work on your home or business, they're doing the same work for, you know, the solar installer, the utility company. And there are a lot of safeguards in place to ensure that it is safe. Exactly. So, you know, and what do we have as electricians and, and engineers? To get licensed, they have to be trained, they're professionals. So, if you're saying that you can't trust those folks, well, maybe the problem is with how you're training them and licensing them. I don't know, just a thought. You shouldn't be, is really ultimately the question, or not the question, but that's ultimately our point. So, when you're talking about net metering, you have to keep that in mind. And here's the other thing, too they talk about how expensive solar is on the grid. Well, I'm here to tell you something, folks. One of the proposals that this group as well as the solar industry has put out there, every time this topic comes up, and I mean every time this topic has come up, we've always said, you know what? No one in the public really knows how much solar power is worth. We are willing to submit to doing a value of solar study, or you can call it a cost of solar study if you like that phrase better. That would basically allow someone like the Public Service Commission or the Division of Energy to go about trying to figure out how much this is worth. I can tell you something right now. Uh, other states that have done this independent verification have found that it's a real deal for utility companies. It's a real deal for other customers. So I think, you know, 
I'm not saying this because I have like some great heightened sense of hubris here. I'm saying this because I really do believe that you're going to see there's more benefit than cost to this. And so if you're a lawmaker out there or you're a soon-to-be lawmaker out there and you're thinking about tackling the subject, why not do that first? Why not have all the facts and information that could be at your disposal and do that? Hey, James, is it time yes. to segue into our next conversation? Well, what a great segue that was, Elizabeth, because, yes, we've only got a few <laughs> more minutes here. And one of the other topics that we put out there, and it's kind of short. I was saving it for the end. Uh, because I knew that we weren't going to be dealing with it a lot. Um, but we do have something that we have out there as a paper on distributed energy resources, or DER. Well, and, uh. that's, <laughs> and that ties into yeah. military bases wanting third-party purchase power agreements too, does it not? Well, it certainly does. Because one of the things that, you know, this candidate education uh, forum that we're dealing with is... We're doing it in conjunction with a group called Young Conservatives for Energy Reform. They are an offshoot of the Christian Coalition. Uh, they are real serious about energy. They are real ser serious about conservative uh, leadership. They have been going all around the country trying to talk to young uh, conservative leaders about why clean energy is a conservative value. And it's something good for families. It's good for national security. And it's good for business. One of the things that they try to push is a concept that the grid, uh, that there should be more encouragement of something called grid resiliency. And grid resiliency can be done in a lot of ways. But one way that we see that it's a benefit is by looking at something called microgrid. Uh, a microgrid is basically where, uh, you know, a large area or a neighborhood or a military base, for example, uh, could be run off of a combination of solar panels, battery storage. Battery storage is a big topic that's very complicated and we don't really have a lot of incentives for that here in this in this state uh, but ultimately with a microgrid you would have to look at something like that and basically if there was some sort of natural catastrophe or cyber attack on part of the grid that microgrid could break away from the grid and continue operating so you're talking about national security as far as like your military base if you're fort leonard wood or your whiteman air force base or somewhere like that here in missouri they would do that i mean right now um Secretary Mattis, uh, the Department of Defense, under President Trump, he has a directive to make um, uh, military bases more resilient, uh, to make them more uh, more independent from the grid. That's something that can be done. Now, you might ask yourself, from the legislative perspective, how can I do this? Well, Matthew mentioned this bill that uh, was passed last year. Uh, there is a microgrid component of that saying that uh, utility companies should be able to invest I think it was like around $20 million in microgrid um, technology um, and that the Public Service Commission should assume that is prudent. Um, we'd like to see more of that. We'd like to see that uh, number increase. Um, I think what you'd find is if you talk to national security experts, if you talk to people who are doing city planning, they'd say that's going to be the future of the grid. What do you think like $20 million does? I mean, if, you know... Mm. What do you think that gets us? Uh, yeah, that's a good question because I also have to keep in mind that's $20 million gets split up between three yeah. investor-owned utility companies. And, like, obviously, Airman, Missouri, being the largest electric, uh, electric investor-owned utility in the state, is going to get... Biggest share. Oh, when I had this written up, I knew you were going to ask me oh, about it. It's, like, it's about, like, <laughs> nine or... They would probably be responsible for about <clears throat> nine or ten million dollars of that. Yeah. I think that gets you a lot of research. Okay. I think that gets you maybe a pilot program. Yeah. Uh, but, like, look, we've got pilot programs in Missouri right now. Um, City of Springfield, City Utilities, is doing true, a battery yeah. storage uh, pilot program 
with Northstar. That's a municipal utility. They're not regulated by the Public Service Commission. Um, Missouri S&T, uh, the engineering school in Rolla, they've got student housing that's run off microgrids. Uh, we've got to tour that last year. That's actually pretty cool. Um, and if you're wondering why grid resiliency sounds so familiar, it's been in the news a lot. Um, because of all the recent hurricanes and there are millions of people without power. Mm -hmm. So that is why this topic is super relevant right now. And Missouri is not immune from natural disasters. Uh, that's right, Elizabeth. We uh, have tornadoes, uh, we have flooding, and, you know, believe it or not, someday we might have another big earthquake. <laughs> Knock on wood over here. Knock on wood that that doesn't happen, but we're kind of long overdue for one. Uh, not to mention the fact this is also good for cybersecurity as well. We have a lot of talk about uh, foreign forces out there that might be trying to disrupt life over here in the United States. We hear a lot of that uh, with elections, but there's also... Some fairly decent intelligence out there that, that, that some of these foreign um, countries have tried to infiltrate our grid through cyber means. So does it make sense from that perspective to do this as well? The answer is yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we also showed last uh, Sunday The Happening, which was a film. Yeah. And, you know, they talked to, uh, went to a military installment, was talking to him, and they were talking to this one man who had been over in Afghanistan and talked about how, mm -hmm. you know, they have like these, you know, kind of a microgrid system set up. And when yes. they're getting the energy from the sun, those loud, terrible generators aren't running. And so they could actually hear like folks like, you know. Trying to attack them. Trying to attack them. And, you know, yeah. it's like that makes a world of difference when you have complete silence as, a pair, as compared to the, you know, generators that are diesel run and yeah. dirty and, and take a lot of money to operate. You know, here they had, you know, quite a simple, you know, grid system, you know, little microgrid system that was getting them the power they need. And, of course, they're out in the middle of the of the desert that certainly had plenty of... of lots of sun. Lots of sun. So it was quite a interesting, you know, you, you, you don't think about that. But, boy, you know, when we talk about, you know, military really wanting to use it, it's more than just for, like, their bases. That's right. It's for when we're out and, you know, for soldiers, soldiers that have been deployed. So, Elizabeth? Well, if you listen to our first podcast and uh, this part one. Part one, you mean. Part one yes. and part two, we have Which established right now. that this technology is saving lives in yeah. more than one way. Yeah, I, and I think that, and, you know, another thing that came out of that movie was uh, this military guy was talking about how much, how many troops are lost just trying to get fuel deployed yeah. uh, to troops over in Afghanistan. And in the Middle East, I think they said it was like one for every... It was a lot. More than it should. More than it should be. So if you're talking about, I mean, again, Elizabeth, as you said, I mean, we're talking about, you know, trying to increase health and safety for Missouri communities. But literally, this could be saving uh, soldiers were deploying overseas. It could be saving their lives. And if you haven't really ever thought about this stuff like that, I would encourage you to look into it. We talk about this in our white papers. Um, if you've got groups that would like to watch this movie, we've got it and we can get the licensing for it. Um, it's really worthwhile. I think it's going to be on HBO pretty soon. Oh, it's an right, HBO yeah. documentary film. Uh, it's, it's directed by James Redford, who is Robert Redford's son. And he sure looks like kind of a funny version of Robert Redford. But, um, <laughs> he, but it's good. It's good. And it really does get into these economic issues that we're talking about. So... To summarize, because I know our time is short here, 
because Elizabeth's giving the look like she knows that we're going over. Uh, when you're looking at what you should be looking at for the legislative session, look at third-party PPAs. Look at them as something that are either independent or uh, can be uh, partially owned by the utility companies. That might be a good um, middle ground, as Elizabeth said. Uh, look at how we can make our good net metering uh, rules even better by lifting, uh, by raising the cap, uh, by potentially uh, being able to uh, uh, require utilities to, to buy that for more money, uh, and certainly to avoid kind of going backwards in that area by trying to put fees on it. And also look at like what are we doing to empower utility companies to look into things like microgrids and community solar. I mean, there's a lot of things that the uh, legislature can do to direct the Public Service Commission on that uh, by giving them automatic assumption of prudency. That's a big way of doing it. So we hope this has been helpful. We hope this has been informative. Uh, as we said at the end of the last one, um, if you have any questions about this, you can um, email info at renewmo.org. Um, and Elizabeth, help me out with the phone number, please. It is 573-303-0394. Or you can always get a hold of us on our website at ah. renewmo.org. Yes, and uh, <laughs> I, I promise somebody will answer the phone. I just was heavy. I just kind of blanked on it there for you a second. You never call yourself. I so. never call myself. Yeah. You know, so it's in my phone, but it just comes up as Renew Office. Uh, so again, uh, we want to just uh, take this time to thank you for running for office. If you're in office right now, we want to thank you. Uh, for your service to the state and your continued service to the state. And if you're just a voter, we want to say thank you for making this uh, uh, experiment known as democracy work. And we hope that in 2018, no matter who you vote for or what motivates you to go out to the polls, that you vote. And that if you know somebody who uh, isn't registered, uh, when's the deadline for registering to vote? October the 10th. October 10th. So hopefully if you're hearing this before October 10th, uh, you'll be able to do that. If not, well, I'm, I'm sorry we didn't get this out sooner. So with that said, thank you for listening to Renew Gurus, and we'll see you, uh, we'll see you out there in November.